somewhere, sometime, deep winter, long before it started snowing here in Jackson, Lonnie Brown appeared at my office door. It's not an unusual occurrence. Lonnie's on our staff. He's a manager of browsing by for the most part here at St. John's. We have an open door policy in our office. So it happens all the time, but he had a rather serious and somber look on his face and said, hey, do you, do you have a minute? And I was like, yeah, of course, come on in, sit down, what's going on? And he said, hey, um, I was wondering, and this is like December or something like that, I was wondering what you're doing on, do you have anything you're doing on July 2nd? And I'm like, well, I don't think so. I mean, maybe getting ready to eat hot dogs on the 4th or something like that. And he said, because here's the deal. I think you and I should run a half marathon. And you know how that kind of stuff goes when it's like December and it's winter time and that half marathon is in July? What do you do? You sort of nod your head and agree like, yeah, it seems like a good idea. I mean, I'm two years of COVID's been kind of hard on us here. Like I could maybe use a little grounding, pounding, you know, it, maybe it's a good idea. I think, yeah, I, yeah, okay, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And then maybe, oh, six or eight weeks later, I get a text in the evening. I'm at home. We finished dinner. I think we're just sitting around the living room watching TV, and I get a text from Lonnie. And he's like, hey, so today's the last day to sign up for the early bird on the half marathon. So if we're going to do this thing, we probably ought to register today. And in a moment of weakness, I took my phone out of my pocket I went on to the website, I created a profile, I logged in, I paid my hundred bucks, and I signed up to run a marathon or a half marathon in July here in Jackson. So that's like February. Lonnie, the devoted friend, also Marine, is like, don't worry about it. I've got this training regimen. Everything will be fine. We'll just follow it. It starts, you know, sometime in the spring. We'll be doing our thing. It'll be cool. We'll feel good about having run this half marathon. And I'm still, you know, full of uncertainty. But I'm nodding my head. Yep, okay, okay, we'll do it. Then fast forward to about two weeks ago, I get another text. And it's from Lonnie, and it's an image, and it's a grid of our training program. <laughs> and he's like, hey, this is like Friday. He's like, hey, so we start Monday. And I'm like, start what? <laughs> training for our half marathon. Oh, yeah, you're doing a half marathon. No, we're doing a half marathon. And so on Monday, faithfully, obediently, <laughs> I descend the stairs here over on the side of our building. I walk the long length of the hallway to our rather dismal, somewhat outdated gym. I turn on the lights. We have a little gym downstairs in the basement that staff uses very, very infrequently. 
And I start just, you know, pounding it out, suffering on the treadmill down there, no one else. And, and maybe you do this, but when, when I run, I like to, you know, put my AirPods in and listen to a little music. So I go onto Apple Music and I dial up the Led Zeppelin Essentials <laughs> and I'm listening to Led Zeppelin down there, playing the air drums, doing my thing. I get through all I had to do on that first day and that first week is run a mile, and then run a mile again, and then run a mile again, and run a mile again. And, you know, here comes Holy Week, and I'm beginning to think about what I might preach about on Easter Sunday. I've dialed up Led Zeppelin again, and I'm down there, and I'm listening to Houses of the Holy. Do you know this album? This album is the best rock album from the best rock and roll band in the history of rock and roll. And as I listen to it, and as my mind begins to go to Holy Week, I start to hear the story, our Christian story, all through the work of Led Zeppelin, Houses of the Holy, first three tracks. Song remains the same, rain song, over the hills and far away. I can hear it. I can hear Palm Sunday and this expectation that life is just, well, it's flat and it goes how it goes. And then I hear the melancholy of the rain song and I'm like, man, there it is, Good Friday. And then in that third track, some hope, some hope dawning over the hills and far away. And as I'm down there playing the air drums, pounding it out, I'm like, okay, this is good. This will work for Easter. I'm going to go, Jesus Christ is risen today. I'm going to go Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley is the, is the author of Jesus Christ is risen today. He's the brother of John Wesley. Those two are the founders of the Methodism movement that becomes the Methodist Church. Wesley is one of the most prolific hymn writers in all of Christian hymnody. He's written 6,500 hymns, and I'm like, I've got it. We're going from the Reverend Charles Wesley to James Patrick Page, all in one beautiful Easter sermon and as I'm suffering and sweating down there, I'm putting it all together. And I'm like, yes, inspired in the basement on the treadmill. So I do my thing. I take a shower down in the basement. I go up and finish my work day. I roll home. Cindy's in the kitchen cooking dinner. Kids are doing their own things. I sit down at the island and we begin to talk. How was your day? It was fine. How was your day? How's the training going? Not so great, but I was a little inspired today. Oh, you were? What happened? I was like, listen, babe, I got it. I've got the best Easter sermon ever in the history of Easter sermons. And you may have some idea of this, but you may not. Easter and Christmas are the hardest Sundays to preach. Here's the deal. You all know the story. You know it so well. And whatever we say, whatever we say has been said before. 
You've heard it before. So trying to preach on a day like this is particularly hard. So I was like, babe, oh, it's going to be amazing. I'm going to go from Charles Wesley all the way through Christian hymnody, through Led Zeppelin, Houses of the Holy, Jimmy Page. It's going to be beautiful. And as I told Cindy what I was going to do, I saw the blank spots and the hanging chads and the eyes that weren't dotted and the T's that would never be crossed in this crazy plan. But I was still holding on to it. I think I said something like, I mean, okay, like I know it sounds a little crazy right now, but I've got time. I've got time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill it in. It's going to be great. I promise. And I went to bed knowing it was not going to be great at all. And I woke up when I normally wake up long before the sun comes up. And I knew at the core of my being that I did not have an Easter sermon. That in fact, the sermon that I was trying to put together was too neat. It was too tidy. It was too kitschy. It was too trendy. It made Easter um, something that was smooth and easy. And Easter is not smooth or easy. If you listen to the story as Lynn read it, or if you remember it and you consider the details of the Easter story, the feelings that you feel, the feelings that we hear from the story are anxiety and confusion and fear. And here we sit in a time that is anxious and confusing and fearful. And so I pushed aside Jimmy Page and his compadres, and Charles Wesley, and his good work. And I went back to the details of the story. The first detail that we hear is one of my absolute favorites. And we don't necessarily hear it as anything big, but it is. It, the, Luke, the narrator of this particular Easter story, is meaning to upset the apple cart right out of the gates when we hear this Easter story, he says, Mary and her sisters took the spices that they had prepared and at dawn went out to the tomb. What we're meant to hear there is Mary and her sisters, they were working on the Sabbath. They were doing something that was forbidden because they picked up the lessons that Jesus left us with, that the work of God is the work of nurture and care and love. And so they picked up this work and they engaged in this dark errand to go prepare the body of their teacher, their rabbi, their friend, who had been murdered by empire and by religious fundamentalism, by calcified religious practice that had attached itself to power rather than love. They set out, they go to the tomb, they find that it's empty. They're quite surprised, then boom, 
two angels appear and they have this beautiful question, a question that we might ask ourselves when we find ourselves in flat, blank space and company. They say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? What a beautiful question. What a gorgeous question for all of us to hold here in our hearts. And I began to reflect on our own circumstance. Here we sit in the United States of America in another year more divided than ever, than any of us living, no matter how old we are, more divided than we have ever been, sitting only in places of the extreme, failing to be able to moderate a position or to listen with love and tenderness across the aisle. And not just here in America, but across the globe, we look to Eastern Europe and we see the devastation of war and destruction as Russia invades our friend Ukraine. We're a mess, y'all. We are a mess. And Easter is a story about mess. I love that question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And I began to ask myself, where is he? Where is then the risen Christ? And as I sat with that question for just a little while longer and let that story sink in as it has year in and year out, I was like, oh, I know where he is. He's right here. She's right here. He's right here. The risen Christ that we're looking for is to our left and to our right. He's before us and behind us. So when we find ourselves struggling, struggling in a time of confusion and fear and anxiety and struggle, and we need that connection to the risen Christ, I encourage you to look to your left or look to your right. Look before you. Look behind you. The risen Christ is all around you, embodied in the people you know and love and in the strangers you pass on the sidewalk or the street or the grocery aisle. You see, Easter is not a story about perfection. Easter is a story about love. And love is oftentimes confusing and anxious and can be fearful. But as we engage 
our faith as we seek to embody it and live it out. I invite you in this Easter season to look to your left and look to your right and look before you and look behind you and know that you are surrounded by love. Amen.